Broadsheet Radio Network. Welcome to Shared History. That was easy. Was it? Are we done? <laughs> We're done already. We're All done. Right. All right. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you so much. Share you later. Uh, <laughs> we did it. The shortest episode yet. <laughs> uh, you guys aren't that lucky, audience. We'll never give you the shortest episode yet. I wouldn't stand by it. There's too much history to cover. Not enough time. But we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna keep chipping away at it. That's I'm right. a I'm a rasp through it today. Just rasp yeah. through all that history. Cass can't talk. I can't breathe. We're all doing fine. I got sriracha in my nose. Yeah, we're all we're all doing great. Uh, she has sriracha in her nose and is also currently a senior motion designer at Discord. Uh, she's a freelance art director, animator, illustrator. You got a podcast cartoon feelings which i uh enjoy immensely oh wow um yeah i'm kind of a fan uh it's tugging my collar right now (laughs) podcasting is a visual medium uh we will uh eventually you know fight in fisticuffs because uh she trains in taekwondo and i in kickboxing and we tie it's the incomparable caitlin kaju Hello. Hello. Thank you for, I feel like I need to clarify that I haven't been to Taekwondo in a long time. So we'll please, edit that out. Everyone's going to be intimidated to... by you. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I'm very strong. Very strong <laughs> and an intimidating presence. You guys can't see because it's podcasting, again, visual medium, but Caitlin's like. Oh, I'm jacked. I jacked. Believe it. And I'm yeah. really tall. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Incredibly. Yeah. And their background is just all of their uh, trophies and belts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So now you're you're in trouble. <laughs> I'm, I look forward to getting my ass kicked. <laughs> I did do a year of Krav Maga. Oh, I forgot most of it, but I feel that's, like that. That's the still sexiest lives. Maga. It actually <laughs> is. Yeah. Super scary. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> I broke Didn't it make down. it to year two. <laughs> the, the sexiest book. Sorry. <laughs> That's great. That's, I don't even, that Maybe was easy. That can be the episode title. It doesn't have to do with any like stuff, right? It can just be the sexiest book. Here's the thing. Um, Cass and I, it's like we've been married for many years. And so whenever one of us can thoroughly break the other one, it's just <laughs> like a reminder that the romance is still alive. The sparkle so comes weird. back, you get the butterflies again for a little bit. <laughs> and then That's usually beautiful. I can't breathe because I'm cough laughing. Yep. I so... love bringing you to near death. <laughs> That's and marriage. That's not... Am I right, folks? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. That's what it is. <laughs> Um, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to tell everybody about cartoon feelings? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Well, to start off with, it is a podcast. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, Essentially, 
me and my buddy Ira Marks. He is a local comics artist and graphic novelist uh, here in Troy, New York. Uh, we, well, he emailed me, as you can hear in the first episode, where he insists on taking credit, uh, which he deserves. <laughs> uh, this is, is his podcast idea. But he just reached out because we had a lot of fun talking about how all podcasts are made. We had a lot of fun talking about something and it was usually like movies and TV shows and cartoons and animation. Uh, and he was like, let's just like make this official. Let's get married. No, it didn't happen that way. Uh, but yeah, so for, uh, I would say like our first season sort of, uh, we just, it's just us two. Uh, every episode we pick a different movie. It's kind of all over the place. Uh, we sort of group them by by vague theme, like we did the animated Hobbit, and then we I was going to say, like... if listeners are wondering <laughs> on the edge of their seat, did they do the animated Hobbit? We did. The greatest adventure was yet to be had, and we did have it together, and it was great. Um, and then, like, we followed that up with the Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings episode, which I think was one of our best episodes. Just not a great movie, yeah. but... Um... <laughs> Redeemed it. You redeemed it with the episode. Yeah, we had, we had a good time. But we start out with like a series on Pixar. Like we go all over the place. Uh, and then we took a break for a while. And now we're back and we're doing guest episodes. So it's a new flavor. And we're having just creative people. Uh, they could be like comics artists, uh, indie animators, or like whoever. Yeah. Lots of cool people. Uh, I mean, just have them, you know, come on the show, pick a movie or a show or like, you know, whatever you want to talk about because it's important to you and we talk about it. So I really think Cartoon Feelings is a great name for the podcast. Thank you, Ira, again, because it's literally just about the feelings we have at the end of the day. Uh, we talk about like process, you know, history, art and storytelling, story structure and all that stuff. But a lot of it is driven by... Uh, how the stories like make us feel, you know, what are, what's our attachment um, or what sometimes what we don't like. Don't that know. can be fun. The sometimes that's yours. more fun. <laughs> sometimes we have, a, we have at least one lost episode that will never be released because it was mostly just a sad time where we were oh, not no. having fun. So no. uh, I just, that was not an energy you want to cultivate on the podcast. So it's mostly not a downer. Mostly not a downer. Mostly. It's my new podcast. Um, <laughs> Slogan. <laughs> where I don't talk about history because sometimes history, big, big old downer. <laughs> kind of sad stuff, huh? Yeah. Um, we've had some heavy ones this season. We've also had some blissful, just silly nonsense. Uh, so you're, a, you're an animator. I described you as a senior motion designer. As somebody who's married to a motion designer, I know what that is. I'm so sorry to hear uh, that. <laughs> honestly, better than being married to an actor. Uh, I did, I did great. I did You're that great. fuck you actors. Yeah, actors. <laughs> I never liked you anyway. Just kidding. I like collaborating with you and making things with you. I just don't want to make out with you. That's um, fine. Yeah, keep it professional. Um, <laughs> it's a weird, I have a weird job. Uh, Sometimes I just hate to smooch people. It's not about that. Explain what motion design is. <laughs> motion design, uh, riffing off that, is the least sexy of all professions. So sexy. I have to say. Design and motion. Yeah, like boring. God, snore. Uh, motion graphics. What is it? Hard to answer. Pretty complicated, I feel like, unnecessarily. Uh, but basically... It's graphics that move. 
That's part, that's what we end up doing. We end up saying, like, you know, graphic design. Now, if it's that like, moved, what if it was moving? <laughs> it was moving. Really, it's like advertising. You heard of television commercials? Motion graphics people do a lot of that, but also they do like visual effects and film. Or like I work at marketing for Discord, so I just work in like the marketing department of a tech company. Didn't didn't you for a project just like have to make a bunch of gifs? Like, yes. And I was like, wow, tough tough break. Yes, yeah. One of my favorite projects I think at Discord so far was like we need stuff to put in our social videos. Just like make a bunch of weird stuff. So like me and some uh, of the animate or illustrators on the team were just like we have like a mascot. Discord has this little mascot named Wumpus, and he's like this weird little blue blurple guy with like a leaf on his head. I thought he was a koala. He's not. I don't know what he is. Uh, it's impossible to tell. Uh, he doesn't want to be known. But I just I drew him like as a T-Rex, like it just weird stuff like that. Uh, so that's cool. And also I, I made a video that was a product feature announcement, like Discord has auto mod features now, but the video is just about like, it's like an 80s cartoon of like anime chickens, like who like get into a big mech to like save the city. It's complete nonsense, but like it kicks ass. Like that was a really fun project. Sounds amazing uh so, motion graphics say, though that this is you do not you do not do history on a day-to-day -day basis uh no we make history no <laughs> no although i do i'm compelled to mention that like weirdly for motion design a lot of my early career was in journalism which is not the same as history but there's been a little bit of that uh i worked at the atlantic magazine for four years it was kind of my first like real job and the Atlantic's been around for like a hundred something years. So there was a lot of fun historical projects we did where we made animated videos out of like old, I did one of like Helen Keller wrote this really funny, like snarky article for the Atlantic and I did an animation of it. So stuff like that was kind of fun, but That's just amazing. a little, just a that little bit of awesome. that. Yeah. It was really cool. I love a snarky Helen Keller. I could not believe it was just like, she's hilarious. <laughs> It was basically about how men need to like, like you try to like do housework and see how like, it's fucking hard. Like, <laughs> and she's just cutting. It's really funny. It's incisive. I uh, will immediately look that up and listeners, I will link to it in the show notes. You can guarantee it. <laughs> um, so do you, do you like history? What is our relationship with history? <clears throat> what a great question. Yes. I, uh, I have to say I'm very amateur about it in all respects. Am I allowed to talk about how I totally pitched a bunch of completely unrelated history bullshit to you guys when I first was you like absolutely can. Okay, because I did because but that's like what I like like to read about yeah. or listen to podcasts about or random stuff a lot of the time is history, not just necessarily everything. I have a sort of a very shallow um and wide pool of random knowledge and i gravitate towards stuff like roman history i've always been really into that i took latin in high school and half of that was like about the culture because nobody speaks the language <laughs> anymore mm -hmm. so there was language stuff but then it was like let's talk about whatever the romans did like in their spare time and i loved that stuff uh so yeah i've dabbled and uh to get into sort of what we will be talking about I do kind of consider I have like an amateur historian's level amount of knowledge about the Disney studio, specific Disney animated studios, it's sordid history. Uh, and also even getting into like Pixar and DreamWorks, 
there's a lot of good books I've read that are like, do you remember when things seemed kind of weird at Disney in the 80s? Uh, here's what was going on. Like all of the executives were fighting each other and having like petty arguments. Uh, and that just really gossipy and great. I love that shit though. Cause I love like, we, we have guests on who are like, I was excited to come on, but also like not a big history fan, but- I hate history. Everything has a history. And so if there's something that interests you, I was delighted when you sent all those mm. options over just because I was excited that you were excited. <laughs> that you were like, look at these things I could talk about. And I'm like, that makes me happy that I don't, because we always say that this is a podcast where we invite our guests on to do homework and create content for us. Hell yeah. That's what podcast is, baby. Yeah. Uh, so when, when it's an enjoyable process for our guests, that's the preferable outcome. Yeah, I think it's tough to get into, even I, there are really good, like well-researched, thorough podcasts about like the history of the Roman Empire from like start to finish, I presume. And I, I struggle to listen to it because it is kind of dry and because it's so broad. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if other people will relate to this necessarily, but also I feel the same way where it's like, I really feel like I should know exactly what went down during every year of World War II, but I cannot just sit there and listen to people talk about it. And I think there's something to this like pop history idea where they, they have to make it a little like spicy and fun to get you interested because if it's like, then Germany did this, I'm like, but who is that? Like who, but the, the, that is made up of individuals. Like what's going on? And, the, and of course you can't, if you're trying to have a broad view of stuff, you can't just drill down into the granular like yeah. psyche of every single like individual experience of every human that was involved. But that is how I latch onto stuff a little bit better. And even mm -hmm. like Roman history is a lot more fun if you just pick one guy and then you're like, whoa, this random dude just had like political ambitions and he was like constantly knifing his like opponents <laughs> in the forum. And it was like this big deal. That's just way more memorable right yeah. off the bat. And yet for- Well, and it puts everything in context as well. So all of those topics being discussed, but not explored, <laughs> tell us a story. Okay. Any, st no, the one that I, all right. <laughs> Let's see if I can cobble this into something linear that makes sense because despite having a podcast, that's not the thing that I'm good at. But what I ultimately settled on to talk to you guys about was some Disney history, surprising no one. Uh, and specifically, I wanted to get into how to encapsulate this into one kind of just Disney's like very subpar and horrific labor practices, really the whole the turmoil that was going on underneath the whole time not in the most magical place on earth surely oh, you would think right <laughs> and that's what's so interesting well and i'm honestly glad you said that because like the propaganda is so real and like i love disney i have to i just clarify that i grew up like wanting to be a disney animator it's like something i always wanted to be in animation uh and i just thought it seemed like the coolest place ever and when i got older even like um, it ended up having its own problems. Like the Pixar studio was like the studio then when I was in like high school and like a teenager going into college. And I had this just like fantastical vision of what it was like to work there. Uh, and Disney just has this shocking ability to 
own the narrative and <laughs> make it seem like <laughs> they also have the ability to own a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> they actually own every narrative. <laughs> All the narrative is kind of their thing. Uh, they're coming. They're going to make an they're offer gonna... on this podcast tonight. <laughs> this oh, I'm here to warn you. <laughs> but like something that's really interesting to me, the first thing I guess that's really interesting to me about the history of Disney early on, or just like the decades when Disney was there alive, like Walt Disney active in the studio, was that they were constantly on the brink of just having zero dollars and completely going bankrupt. And all of their movies failed spectacularly at the box office like almost every single one which is really insane to think about you would never know that with like they're like diamond edition like 25 year anniversary 50 year anniversary blah 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 the disney collector blu-ray whatever like relive the classics i'm like nobody <laughs> went to see these like what how did this happen how did this live our such- failures <laughs> But it's like you would never know because that's just not what they talk about. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, and why would they talk about it? When but you I think the early ones, are you talking about like, are we talking like pre? Because Snow White was the first full length animated feature. Yeah. So, so Snow White. Pre Snow White, or we, was Snow White a flop? No, Snow White did amazingly well, hugely successful. I think it won a bunch of awards. Uh, but definitely it was like, it made a bunch of money. It was a big Hollywood moment uh, to like, you can hear on the opening night of Snow White, it's described as like, people were just so excited about this movie that even though they didn't have tickets, they just came to hang out like outside of the movie theater, which I guess is like premieres probably have that. I don't know. I've never been to like a red carpet situation, but he had like a replica of like the Snow White Village, like outside of this. I think people were there in like dwarf costumes and stuff. You might be able to find some like the photos yeah. of this. Uh, but it, he just made it this whole event and people were very into it. Pinocchio was the second movie. Huge flop. Did terribly. Honestly, I believe it. That whole <laughs> like land of lost boys that was creepy that's a terrifying movie yeah for yeah. sure super scary the whale really bothered me as a child thought it was Bombs absolutely through. nightmarish uh and then there was like fantasia was this big thing we can get a little bit into that because it just absolutely is emblematic of the, the wanton hubris of disney in my opinion <laughs> even i love fantasia to yeah. me that's like a dream project as an animator but it was absolutely crazy. And like, of course it lost money. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And just on and on, Bambi didn't make any money. Like all of these movies, they just didn't well, make money. Bambi is a bummer, so. <laughs> yeah, Disney loves bummers, which is super weird because yeah. it has a <laughs> reputation for being like very cute and heartwarming. And, and what, what year did Bambi come out? Uh, I totally have that up. 1942. Yeah, you know what I want to watch in the, in like, Tail end of World War II, a deer's mom gets shot. That's what I want to watch. So You know what's really funny about Bambi is that apparently uh, there was a huge controversy because like hunters in America were extremely offended. <laughs> and they, oh my God. They were like, there was this quote, I wish I could remember it fully, but there was a quote that was published in some kind of like um, protest letter that was just like, this is like, no greater offense has ever been made against the American sportsman. <laughs> like oh this movie God. that just slanders hunters. 
And the hunter has one, not even a full scene. Yeah, he's like not, he's never depicted on screen. No, like you never I actually see it. Like, is like, there's like a rating of like the, like the worst as in like the baddest baddies, villains of Disney. And a lot of people are like Hunter and Bambi is the greatest. I mean, he doesn't burn down all. the whole forest and like not even on purpose, I don't think. I don't know. I think we got a lot of distant father figure situation going on in Bambi that we're really not delving into as well. That's probably accurate. Again, this was, yeah, in the <laughs> early 40s, like it was a rough time in the world, in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. It was all bad. What's interesting about this is that the idea that like the American Hunting Association, which I assume is a thing, was like aghast and probably like protested Disney in response is just, oh, so there's just a history of people being annoyingly uh, protesting Disney for for like woke politics or like <laughs> perceived slights. Or yeah, perce perceived slights is the right way to put it, Cass. Thank you. Yeah, I didn't. There's a, a section in, I don't know how well you guys know or have remember Fantasia if you've seen it. Love Fantasia. I've have seen every it. Every second of it. Yeah, so good. There's one sequence where it kind of goes through like the evolution of life on Earth and like there's a bunch of like life in the ocean and then a dinosaur, you know, the Earth is developing. That yeah, that part, that part slaps. It's really good. Yes. That's one of the best ones. But every time I watch it, I'm like, whoa, Disney is like the like white American fundamentalist Christian thing. Like they love this. So like, were they okay with this? Because they don't believe in evolution. And it turns out that there was an entire part of that that Disney cut because at the end of it, human life evolved. They had planned to have it like to take it all the way to where human life had like propagated on the planet. And they were like, nope, <laughs> we're cutting that because it would offend the fundamentalist Christians. If we oh, the fundamentalists believe that the humans are there the whole time throughout this whole narrative by omitting them. They can believe that they were there the whole time. <laughs> <Like> wink. <laughs> During the primordial ooze. No, this was just- a, Humans were hanging out. This was just several hundred years ago when dinosaurs- <laughs> This was just God doing it. He was like, this, it happened in exactly the amount of time that this animation plays. Yeah. And <laughs> like modern day we're here, which is really interesting considering there's like a glaring racial stereotype in Fantasia that was scrubbed completely yeah. from it. Uh, I don't want to Real dwell bad. On this too much. Yeah, I had never. I, you would have no idea because yeah. uh, they like pan and scan, like cropped it out of all home video releases. But yeah, in the centaur sequence, there's like a black centaur girl that is essentially the servant of all the other centaurs. It's bad. Yeah, she's like half donkey instead of like half horse, yeah. like the other. It's fucked up. It's just yeah. like aggressively <laughs> fucked up. And they're like, this is fine. This is hilarious. Audiences will love this, but cut that evolution crap. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to connect this to like modern Disney scrubbing things before like editing things be uh, for putting them on Disney Plus and changing things. Yeah, you can't you can't offend. Well, you can offend some people some of the time. Wait, what have they cut from Disney Plus stuff? Well, in general, streamers have especially I feel like in the last like couple of years like they keep re -ed they keep editing things after they dropped. So for example, Cass, I know that you just watched your way through the Stranger Things. And I yes. know that like episodes of season one of a Stranger Things, if I went back and watched them, they'd be different than when I watched them. Okay, yeah. Um, 
because they have re-edited and re-uploaded. And same with even just like the most recent season, they like made adjustments on the fly. It's very mm -hmm. unnerving. Yeah. And so Disney's been, Disney's, I mean, there are things that they won't put out on Disney Plus ever and some rightfully so. Uh, and then in uh, in general, the Star Wars franchise has been doing it a lot with uh, old Star Wars. Oh, they just took out Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> that whole subplot. The clean edit. <laughs> um, Safe I will work. appreciate that like everyone has their um, problematic Disney movie that they love. But I like that they're starting to put the like, hey, these aren't great depictions, like the little disclaimer in the beginning. Yeah. Um, it's something. I think that's important because I honestly, yeah. I like, I would prefer that they would put just the fucked up stuff on there. Not, yeah. but I think to, you need to label it and you need to yeah. talk about that. Um, and I appreciate that because really that's like kind of the best you can do. And I feel yeah. like if you just don't, well, we'll probably talk a little bit about it, but song of the South is the Disney movie that, Ooh. yeah, we've all like maybe been thinking about sort of um, the whole time we've been talking about this all of us have been thinking yeah. of an incredibly <laughs> racist film from top to bottom so wildly problematic that D disney was warned beforehand by multiple people and he actually very uncomfortably hired uh, a jewish man not like a like a black person or anything you know relevant a, a jewish person that he knew was uncomfortable with the uncle remus stories and he was like, you work on the story for this because you'll be looking out for the for the bad stuff. Like, because you care about it. <laughs> oh, my God. And then the guy, he ended up leaving the project later. Like, he didn't even see it through. And I think he was probably happy to go. Uh, yeah. But Disney knew very well in advance that this was probably going to be an issue. And the really buck wild thing is, like, the, the two black stars in that movie couldn't even go to the premiere. They were, like, not allowed to go to the venue that the film premiered in because I think it premiered in Atlanta and it was segregated at the time and so they just literally could not attend it's just like whoo but for some reason we love it we love Disney I don't know <laughs> so heartwarming and so many good messages and morals in their films yeah. <laughs> I think this is why I'm so interested in Disney history honestly it's like I grew up loving the movies because I love the art all of it i love like any old disney movies that the traditional mm -hmm. animation and they really like busted their ass to make yeah. the most incredible stuff uh, and it, like in the 30s like it's it's really mind-boggling what they were capable of producing but i really think if you love something like that you have to look at it like right in the eyes i'm like yeah. disney was a an unhinged character i think mm -hmm. i think he had some positive qualities but he was also completely off the deep end and I like there's no way we would get along at all well you don't and... know that so when we regenerate him <laughs> that's um, true maybe it's like what my you dude know, you know what maybe you guys can start off on the right foot <laughs> it's like maybe he'll be way chiller like when he's back cryogenically yeah, unfrozen <laughs> no pun intended <laughs> Typically amazing to female employees wasn't he oh yeah he loved the women that were so great uh so he's bleeding money. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. We're rolling back the clock. Flopping. We're bleeding money. How does that relate? Like, what does that translate to as a work environment? I think it goes, like, it actually, the problems, unsurprisingly, started way before 
even before like Walt Disney Studios was a thing, Disney had always had a problem with being really domineering. And it's something that's gonna come back and bite him in the ass, especially he was very possessive of the credit. And you'll note that Disney does not animate at all. Like he does not, he's actually, uh, if I can understand it, because I don't know if I've seen any anything that he's drawn, but he used to do, you know, drawing and cartoons when he was younger. Like he was bad at it. He was said to be not good at it. He stole Mickey. Essentially, yeah, he did. Which, but it's very interesting because the guy, so he basically worked at the studio with a guy named Ub Iwerks, who created this character, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, which is a rabbit that looks really similar to Mickey Mouse. And they they sort of had a falling out, long story short. Disney, he because he was kind of a tyrant and because he would hoover up the credit and always put his name on everything and not really credit the, he didn't really show appreciation, I think in any kind of reasonable way to the people that were working for him. His studio basically ran out on him. Like everybody quit. Uh, Ub Iwerks at some point went and started his own studio. But what's really interesting to me is that Ub Iwerks ended up working at Disney later. And it seems like they became friends or had some kind of very close working relationship even after that. So it does make you wonder like what's going on there. I don't know. Uh, he I had a lovers. <laughs> possibly besties. You yep. know, we all have falling out. <laughs> They're only roommates, Cass. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're I'm just sorry. close friends and confidants. <laughs> Nothing weird is going on. Nothing untoward. <laughs> oh, Cass, you definitely said something on this episode that was so on brand. What do you mean? You know, like you have a brand. The way you look and communicate, what you place value in, all of that is your brand. Just typical you being you. Oh. How do you know so much about brands? Oh, well, I've worked with Bates Marone Sweet Design. Who? Bates Marone. They're a boutique branding, marketing, and web design agency based in Chicago. They've got great strategists, designers, and copywriters who all work together to make brands better. How do they do that? They combine research and storytelling. They find out why a brand is the way that it is, and then they bundle all that up into a nice little package for the business to take with them and use going forward. Shoot, that sounds great. Right? Well, are they just for huge corporations though? Oh, absolutely not. They have experience with all sorts of clients from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Ooh, fancy. Mm-hmm. If you want to see some of their past client work, learn more about their processes, see what it takes to join the team, or if you're just ready to schedule a meeting, go to their website, BatesMarone.com. That's B-A-T-E-S-M-E-R-O-N.com. Uh, but eventually he gets his start doing the Mickey cartoons and Disney Animation Studios like comes up out of that. And he has this dream of making Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like, I'm going to make this amazing feature animated film. And he does it and it makes a ton of money. Uh, that's great. And so that, I think, went straight to his head. This is the kind of personality that we have of like Walt Disney is somebody that's very narcissistic, I think. I'm not going to like medically diagnose. Like, again, I'm an animator. I don't know this stuff. Just disclaimer, disclaimer. I don't know. We're all doctors. We're doctors. <laughs> I got my PhD in, I don't know, working too hard and not getting paid enough. Um, <laughs> which I guess is what a PhD is, honestly. My husband has a PhD, so I think that's accurate. So true. <laughs> Sad. I, I, I don't feel good about it. 
but he he was a guy that he was like the the classic ideas idea man like i'm i have i say yes or no to like is this good or not i cultivate the talent i keep very tight control over what's coming in and out of my studio my employees he's john ham in mad oh, men yes essentially yes like also very charismatic and i think this is why it's good to talk about like a steve jobs was kind of like this i think and a lot of uh, basically a lot of men in the same position um in companies and in the world have this kind of aspect and they just have but we laud them as innovators yeah like geniuses so genius and, like, a dreamer and i'm yeah, just yeah. like are frankly the more that i read and think more about this like the less that i feel that like disney the merits of disney really have anything to do with the man himself and i don't want to totally divorce you know regardless like if he was a bad boss whatever ran his company poorly that doesn't mean that he didn't contribute anything of value but i th a lot of it it feels like is him uh having the guts i guess to just go for broke to constantly be riding on the edge of this like financial disaster to make his dreams come true uh which i think is like an unfortunate but you know, it's kind of the reality and how stuff gets made if you're if you're looking big in scope somebody mm. has to be like really pushing for that and probably yeah. taking these massive swings and that was just his personality but a lot of it was just like hiring people that were really talented and then driving them into the ground essentially yeah. uh frequently leaving them discarded and broken along the way the confidence of a mediocre white man <laughs> Yeah, it's like With truly like dreams. can't do any of the stuff himself, but something that I find really horrifying. I've talked about this on Cartoon Feelings before that comes up so much in almost any book I've read about Disney, even the positive ones that so like Neil Gabler. I never even finished it because it's so huge. But Neil Gabler is an animation historian, I believe, that wrote this massive biography of Walt Disney. And I've I literally have been listening to it for years on audiobook. Like, I don't think I'll ever finish it. It's so long. But that one is very, like, he, you know, he's so amazing. Like, Walt Disney is a genius. Uh, but he had this iconic thing where if he hated what you were doing, he comes up, you're an animator, and he comes up to your desk, and you're showing him his drawings, and, like, you're your hopes and dreams are pinned on his approval and you really need like a raise and you're gonna ask for a raise soon and like you're just trying to impress daddy basically is the vibe a lot of the time um if he hated it he wouldn't say anything he would just raise one eyebrow like just very slowly and people were emotionally devastated by this like and he would just bail and i think it was he was the kind of scary uh because that you don't know what that means and he's not going to talk to you about it like this isn't the guy that's going to sit down and have like a civilized conversation with you about it this is the guy that uh one of the women that worked for him after a long time decided to go on vacation and when she got back she had been fired but nobody told her <laughs> oh that was that was kind of how stuff went down in the disney studio and i the wish i could remember thing, the eyebrow thing is giving me very like reverse paul hollywood handshake <laughs> vibes you yeah. know it's you that get kind that of handshake like, from paul it's great if you get the eyebrow from disney it's bad yeah, you know to feel devastated <laughs> it's giving me uh hives. Marissa <laughs> from, it's giving me hives uh 
I worked for Disney, and this is bringing up a lot for me. Uh, <laughs> the man himself, um, they also froze me. It was an experiment. <laughs> frozen right now. <laughs> test to see if it would work for daddy. Um, <laughs> no, it's giving me Miranda from uh, uh, Devil Wears Prada vibes. Yeah, it, yes, 100%. I would not be surprised, honestly, if they based her off of Walt Disney. It feels he's that, like, mercurial, I think, is the word. That's a good word. Yeah, just capricious i do honestly when i'm That's reading these word. biographies i'm like he's like a capricious god and people are just like oh my god like how do i get him to love me he needs to love me and then he would also like cut you down and he definitely feels like the kind of person that had a charisma where that if he smiled on you one day you would just be glowing like it would make your whole day and if he raised his evil little eyebrow it would just like gut you to and he sounds like a cult leader a hundred percent. He's a really good one. But unfortunately, <laughs> really good cult leaders. Yeah, one of the best. It doesn't, it's not a great thing. <laughs> no, I think a I, lot of people really, um, nobody like, I don't think there was, uh, hmm, I don't think there was a lot of people like dying in the, in this like Disney family, but there were a lot of people who were very put out or had their lives sort of ruined possibly that sounds about right yes. i don't want to speak too strongly i can't know for a fact but uh another i think important aspect about looking at his personality like that is i, I think it explains a lot of why his company had so many problems because he treated everything this way where he was like you have my favor you know and therefore you will be accorded special privileges uh, and everybody just sort of agreed, probably due to his charisma, that he was correct in all of his assessments. Like a lot of people felt that way. So if he really liked you, you were probably a man and you were probably making like 200 or $300 a week, which, you know, this is old timey money. So that was a ton back then for like, at, that was like top paid, like you were my favorite animator and you're my special boy and you're making $300 a week and my special boy my special sweet boy. prince <laughs> most people at the studio and like a lot of women like i think they were making as little as $12 a week in comparison Shit. and you're exactly right i think this is pretty common knowledge about the disney studio but early on women had one job at the disney studio more or less and that was you're in ink and paint which is a really fascinating department. I have a really cool book, an art book about like the women of ink and paint, which is really awesome and extremely, that is like an art unto itself. It does not, uh, it's not easy. It requires a lot of like talent and hard work to work in this department. But I think in their mind, it was a little more of like factory type work because you're taking animation that's been done and you're uh, essentially like digitizing it. Um, in physical media where you're tracing over it, like inking it, coloring it in. And then that's like the final look, but you didn't like bring it to life, quote unquote. So you're not getting paid very much in this department is all women because like, this is a woman's job. And when women would apply, you would get a form letter that was like, women don't do any of the creative work here. And I'm pretty sure it does say that word for word. Like women are not part of any of the creative work at the Disney studios, which right off the bat sounds like bullshit because you don't have a movie if you don't have the ink and paint. You can't just, you, that's like a huge, huge part of it. Otherwise, why are you doing it in the first place? 
but what is also interesting is that there were women that were working there, just very, very few. Every now and then one would sneak in. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, Girls, like, we got one in. <laughs> it's, honestly, I wish I, I won't be able to remember any of their names individually, which I feel really bad about. But there's this really great book. Neither could their male coworkers, so it's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I sure they did. They were all trying to date them, which is true. Yeah. They were all trying to date and marry them, thereby taking them out of the workforce entirely, I guess. Who can say if that was their goal? Oh, maybe, uh, it, was, maybe it was like they were, they were uh, intimidated by their talent. They're like, we got to marry this one and knock her up so that she can. <laughs> you got to get out of here. You got to get her out of here. You should say that. <laughs> Because I do have a story, sort of. If any of this is interesting to you, you should read uh, Natalia Holt's The Queens of Animation, which is a really good book. One of the only ones, really, that I've read that had a lot of uh, content that you just don't find in other historical accounts of what happened at the Disney studio. Namely, it is just chock-a-block full of stories of women that I had never heard of, never knew existed, and did a ton for the Disney studio. So a big thing is that the vast majority of the time they went completely uncredited, which wasn't just an issue for women at the studio because a lot of people didn't get credited and that became a huge issue because uh, that also seemed very arbitrary and was kind of confusing and nobody liked it, which makes a lot of sense. Kind of the, le the least you could do really is just give people a little bit of credit, but it has so many women in it that sometimes I'm just inclined to get the, the individuals a little confused. Uh, but one of them, I think it was Bianca. I only, and again, they're referred to a lot by their first names in this book. So I'm like, <laughs> Bianca Majoli, I think is her name. Um, but she was friends with, well, acquaintances with Walt Disney in high school. They went to the same high school together and he had like signed her yearbook and they like had very minimal interaction, but they knew each other. And at some point she wrote to him because she had started doing some drawings, or some comics, something like that, and wrote to him and was like, hey, can you help me out with this? And he ended up giving her a job. But she worked there at the Disney studio for quite some time. But when she got fired, like he never talked to her about it. Like he didn't fire her and like he didn't say anything and they had like gone out to lunch together it was this whole and that's they were just like lunch friends uh, yeah and was, he didn't yeah. say anything that's just i uh, that is what that's your value i guess <laughs> i don't know you i get the impression that he was very frequently like oh people are fired but like i'm not there i am gone and actually uh when the disney strikes went down i think that was in 1941 is when this really came to a head there was this whole like labor issue uh there was this cartoonists guild in hollywood that had unionized a lot of these the animators in these different studios uh and disney was like this holdout and they're trying to get him to like you should like unionize and like let's work this out disney has absolutely zero interest in it thinks it's like a communist conspiracy to ruin his, you know, paradise that he's constructed, um, is very angry about it. And he ends up just leaving the country. <laughs> uh, this, man, <laughs> this man has avoidance issues. Truly, like, cannot do the confrontation. I mean, which clearly, I, he can't even give you feedback. He can only raise an eyebrow. Well, there, uh, this was another story, and I... I 
I, again, I Paul, I just I'll do a blanket apology for not remembering the individuals' names all the time. But definitely read this book. I was literally just rereading it in anticipation of this, and I still like just can't keep track off the top of my head. But there was one woman who had the the woman who got onto the story team. This is a big deal, and she's already feeling really awful about it generally because the guys are terrible <laughs> and like very aggressive and not very friendly to her at all. And she, like part of this process on the story team is you storyboard out on index cards, basically like little tiny sheets of paper in sequence, you pin them all up on a cork board, and then you have to like pitch it to the group. Mm -hmm. So you have to get up in front of everybody and like act this out and do it. And she's doing this, nobody's listening, everybody's yelling over her. And Walt Disney went up and ripped up her drawings, like ripped her drawings off the wall and just like ripped them up in front of her. And like, that's the deal. And she runs out crying and he's like, women just can't take criticism. Oh. This sounds like a fake story, but I swear to God, like it's real. <laughs> and he's like, this is why we can't have women here because they just can't handle it. And it, I don't know, maybe it's a problem. Aggressive with psychological torment was his. <laughs> it is like anxiety inducing to read this because it's very easy to me to imagine people like being like, like oh, that didn't happen. Or like maybe she was being sensitive or whatever. And I'm like, we've all lived this like, yeah. still to this day like it's still like uh, nobody's ever ripped up my drawing in front of me but could you imagine i think i would i mean yeah i'd cry probably honestly i like to think i would like taekwon but like no i would probably just <laughs> but you haven't done taekwondo in a few years now I, so it's all rusty guys <laughs> too sexy for the workplace that's true they would be like this is why we can't have women <laughs> this is too sexy all the, all the sexy krav maga <laughs> maga going on the only but. thing sexier is, is uh capoeira so that's true sexy fight dancing yeah i would never even try it that's borderline pornographic too sexy right. for me <laughs> not sexy enough for that really <laughs> cass we have to take an ad break fair enough we're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. So strikes pop off. It basically comes to a head because people want to unionize, people are feeling bad, and also a couple of, maybe a couple of years prior to 1941, the strikes happen. I'm not sure exact, um, I'm not sure the exact timeline, but Disney, because he had constantly been running out of money, uh, constantly on the edge of just like financial ruin, essentially for the studio, he ends up taking the company public and he doesn't want to do it, but he basically has no choice. Uh, the funny thing is it doesn't go well. The sh he does not make a lot of money from this, but now all of the payment like information for people at the company becomes public. So everybody knows what everybody else is getting paid. Mm. And I think that people had been well. talking about it prior, but this was like, now people know about it. And there are animators that have said, like, it, there was literally no rhyme or reason 
to the payment scheme where like I could be sitting next to a guy uh, and we're doing the exact same stuff and like I'm making $20 a week more. Like there's just like no reasoning behind any of it. So all of this information becomes public. People are trying to unionize. People need money. It's a very difficult period in history. Uh, and yeah, things come to a head and people just decide like we're all walking out. And it's just like hundreds of people at the studio end up walking out. And you can find there's lots of photos of this because strike. They have very good looking signs because when yeah, they have wonderful signs. signs. Exactly what you would expect an, a Walt Disney animator to put on their signs like there are no strings on me like a Pinocchio <laughs> riff. There's a there's a reluctant dragon sign. Snow White and the Seven Hundred Dwarfs. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's up to Walt to call a halt is a pretty good one. I love that one. Putting the, passing the buck to where it belongs. <laughs> wow, I do see one here that has Mickey Mouse and it says Daddy Disney is unfair to his artist. <laughs> so Daddy confirmed. <laughs> Only ever referring to Walt Disney as Daddy Disney. Daddy Disney. Daddy Papa no. Disney was not doing so hot. <laughs> there's a there's one with Pluto on it and it says I've got a bone to pick with Walt. Wow. Ooh, it's like these guys are just like <laughs> like making their signs. Hopefully on company time before Hopefully. they all went out. They all missed the actual strike because they were like, wait, I have another idea. I need to make another sign. <laughs> you don't have enough sign. people to hold the signs. <laughs> Something that's very interesting to me and that I appreciate a lot is that one of Walt Disney's favorite bestie best like most pet animators who was paid wildly lavishly was ended up becoming the leader of the strike or oh, one of the yes. leaders of the strike and you're like yeah buddy like that treachery so good yeah and Walt Disney hated it like they became enemies for life after this oh, yeah because he was uh, the Don Blue favorite <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, uh, but then this is this is just sort of a fun fact that I find absolutely terrifying actually so this guy's name is Art Babbitt which is such an animator name from the 40s. Oh, hell yeah. Like Art Babbitt. Uh, I didn't even realize this until very recently when I was looking this up, but he was paid so well that he had servants. <laughs> like he had multiple servants, three cars, just like living an extremely lavish lifestyle because he was getting paid so well by Disney. And honestly, like what an ab absolute homie to be like, oh, oh yeah. wait, no, this is fucked up. Uh, because he would interact with like the women, like he's is invested every day in this work environment and he sees what people are doing and how little they're getting paid. And it's like, this is bullshit. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna like go toe to toe here, which is so oh, yeah. great. And honestly, be a, be an art Babbitt y'all go, go out there and do it. We need, we need that energy. Be Babbitt. Yeah, That's like Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. I'm a quadrillionaire. We got divorced. I'm just going to slowly start giving away billions of your dollars. Oh, that's, like, that's power. That's real yeah. power. We love to see that. We uh, love it. And it, it, something else that was kind of funny, like he was fired, I think, multiple times from Disney and rehired a lot of the time because of lawsuits. He would bring these like labor lawsuits against Disney and they would, he would be forced to rehire him. And he ended up working there on and off again for a little bit until he left to kind of do his own thing. Uh, 
Disney had this fixation uh, that the communists were behind all of this, that it was like communists infiltrating Hollywood. And I guess we're in like the McCarthyism era. I don't remember exactly what the overlap is, but in 1947, Disney testified to this government committee about his experiences and like, oh yeah, I definitely, communists were absolutely the cause of this strike. They are a threat in Hollywood. Like we need to combat this. Like I'm Walt Disney and I'm like signing my name to this. The communists are bad. Uh, and he got a bunch of animators blacklisted from the industry by basically narking on them to the FBI and to the government, uh, whether or not they were, so asterisk here, not, I don't really think it like didn't being really a red... matter during that if you were. Yes, a... right. Yeah. I just think it's really fucked. I mean, it is fucked up regardless, but it's fucked up that he's just like, here are a bunch of names. Like they, this guy did me dirty. So he's he blacklist him. Like he's a communist. I'm like, okay. Like, did you have, and it doesn't matter because I, at this point, I don't think people should be blacklisted for that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to come out with like my firm opinions about whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about, but like about communism in the fifties, it was like some <laughs> of them probably were, it's a little hard to find evidence. I, uh, not that I was trying super hard, but I, there was a quote in one of my art books. It's about it's cartoon modern and it's about animation in the fifties, mostly TV animation. So some of those animators were people that left Disney because of the strikes. And then they ended up working at UPA and these other sort of iconic 50s, mid-century modern graphic design, they would do all of these just like television commercials or just like TV cartoons and stuff like that that were much more like cheaply made and a lot more geometric and graphic designy, if you will. And some of them were straight up like, yeah, we were communists. <laughs> uh, like there's a quote in that book about them being like, yeah, we had to take this like oil project that we didn't really want to do, but like we needed money. So whatever, <laughs> but like, because it went against our principal beliefs or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's like, who knows? I still think that it's fairly ridiculous for anyone to stand up there and be like, yeah, so labor practices, that's just what the communists use to get a hold on you, which is something that you can find the transcript online very easily of Disney talking to this government agency. And he's just like, yeah, that's what, you know, they, the scum, they like use the labor issues. And that's how, so you can't get a hold of them. Like you can never get them because then they do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like people just want to get paid money to live. <laughs> yeah. And that makes you a communist. That is illegal, especially females. Disgusting. All women are communists. <laughs> That's true. If you Take want that to be one to the barely bank. compensated uh, and to, you know, be able to afford lavish things like uh, food, water, and shelter, you're a communist. Food for your children? Mm-hmm. And one of the women in this, in this book, like, has she's a single mom and has two kids and like has to have income from her job and that's never really a direct focal point in the stories that are told about her in this book but it comes up a lot because it just like she cannot quit she cannot go hey i think i deserve a raise because that's a gamble like in any situation you have to be very careful about what you say you have no power yeah and it's like we all know that but it's really easy to just think, Walt Disney Studios, everybody's happy. Everybody's drawing little Bambies, little deer, and everybody's friends. And really, there was a Clearly lot of- nobody's happy. They're killing every parent. There's not a- They're there's... shooting the deer. I want a revenge of dead Disney parent. 
film or something. It's like, where are all the parent, like the other parent, there's either like no mom or no dad. Like, what is the deal? Probably just because it was cheaper that way, honestly, to animate only one, but like still. That way they don't need to delve into backstory and exposition. Oh, their mom's dead. So obviously. That just slides everything. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now the story. This... The only, I feel like the only, um, the only like happy households that I can think of are like two parent households that I can think of are like the owners of Lady and the tra- of of Lady and Lady and the Tramp. Mm-hmm. I think we're still together. And... Yeah, they have a baby and they're very happy together. Yeah. You I won't guess. ever see their feet. Yeah, oh. that's true. It's very unnerving, <laughs> honestly. And the humans, uh. The, again, these are again dog owners in uh, 101 Dalmatians. These are the only people who are allowed to live happy lives. Oh, that's true. There's some meme I've seen that was like old Disney movies were about like dealing with a death of a parent and the new ones are just like dealing with how obnoxious your family is. Something like that. <laughs> and I think itself. that's true. Like very rarely is it like the family is a non-issue and it's just sort of average and mundane. Like that's never what's going on. It's always something more complicated than that. Always. Oh, this is this feels like a hard pivot now, and it's just sort of like a sad fun fact that I want to sprinkle in. Bring it on to draw. The, it's not even. A, it's just sort of a fact about the studio that seems like a bummer. Tokyo drift us into this pivot. Wham, and right out again, again because there's no like it doesn't go anywhere. But just to really drive it home, I don't even know how much this was known throughout the studio, but they had these fancy boy facilities at the Disney studio where they had like a bar, a restaurant, a gym, a sauna, all of this stuff. And you could only access it essentially if you were invited and also if you were paid a certain amount at the studio, which means like the vast majority of people could not use these facilities, making it a literal boys club. (laughs) It's like, and that is one of the wackiest things I've ever heard in my life. Uh, I policing that like do you just like not know how to get into it do you not have a key if you aren't I might under I feel like because it's definitely in one of these books I want to say that it's on its own floor and I don't exactly remember I am not 100% sure in my brain for some reason the first thing I thought was like that the food service workers knew everyone else's salaries for some reason yeah probably like like, no not you you. yeah probably they were not super open about it well it's interesting to me is like i didn't know this place existed until fairly recently maybe a year or two ago just reading one of these things because like nobody ever talks about it and i guess that's bizarre because disney is like historically very transparent (laughs) nobody he's super open and approachable like you could ask me anything i'm walt disney and i'm cool like i'm fine the whole corporation really above board. I'm a cool dad. It's like another thing, like, okay, how much money is he paying the staff that presumably works this area of the studio that you have a restaurant and a sauna? Like, who is up here who doing their stuff? The the also, go back to work. You don't get a steam in the middle of the day. Like, Come literally, on. a sauna at work? Okay, like, I work at a tech company. I know... You know, the like modern workplace situation that we've experienced in the past like couple decades. Yeah, okay, a gym at work, sure, a ball pit, whatever. A sauna? What the a fuck? Ball pit. Like, 
A ping pong table nobody touches. A sauna. Yeah. A sauna. <laughs> Two you are saunas. Invi- you are inviting. HR hates this. HR hates the sauna. <laughs> well, that's like, it just sounds like a joke. HR like, wasn't you have a, a thing bar and a sauna up here and it's for dudes only who get paid a certain amount. Like, what is the actual Mad Men situation inside the Disney studio? I'm constantly struck by the fact that these guys could be so aggressive and petty and they're just cartoon boys. cartoon boys they like when they were making fantasia a woman came up with one of the ideas for this whole song i think it's the nutcracker suite song and the animation is uh these fairies like flying through the forest and changing the season basically and uh, apparently the guys just hated the idea of having to draw fairies and like no man wanted to work on it because it was just like too feminine i guess like if anyone attempted to do it that they would like tease them relentlessly it's very bizarre the <laughs> what i find very strange is like you draw of- like mickey mouse getting his ass beat as like a funny joke or whatever but like this is too girly for you like oh my god i I just don't understand it really bothers me like when i was younger this was so upsetting to read stuff like this because it was just like i thought we were all just like nerds can we just can we not just be nerds who want to draw like cartoon animals like stepping on rakes like no like you have to be a jerk about it like they're all very competitive about it and it's just a cutthroat environment gotta be i can't believe just animator drawing a fairy was like it's like this is too much this is a bridge too far absolutely not i know because actually uh justin my partner and i were talking about this earlier today uh but like their signs some of their signs were really intense or some of their strike tactics like were no holds barred like we're going for it um or like somebody would have like a depiction of like walt disney with his head in a guillotine or like stuff yes they had a guillotine like a fake one but they did have a guillotine at one point which like no one would stand for today like people would throw a fit if any strikers had something like that regardless of the industry that they work in and how tongue-in-cheek it was done yeah i'd love to know what uh what walt thought about that i do know that left (laughs) Yeah, it was, yeah, he just straight up left. That's true. Who knows if he even saw the guillotine? He thought, what time is my flight leaving? That's what he thought. Which which is so interesting. What he left to do was that the government was funding these, like, good neighbor films where we'll basically pay you to make movies about our surrounding countries uh, so that we can sort of enhance goodwill with the countries around us and kind of like firm up sort of our side of the world in the face of this like looming war, like all of this stuff. And so he was going to South America. He's basically doing like a South American tour to just get to know the people and absorb the culture and then come back and make cartoons set in South America. Just I was going to say, so of... he could come back and have a horrible racist depiction of the people that he met? <laughs> Essentially, uh, yeah, because... Like one of them, uh, I, I, have, I have not actually seen these, like the vast majority of the Disney catalog, I have definitely seen probably more than once. These, I haven't seen any of these, like Saludos Amigos is at least like probably the most prominent one that was made in this era, but there was some film, I don't know if it was a part of that one or if it's, it was its own film, uh, but it was about a plane, like a male plane was like the main character. 
and he's just doing like, I don't know, mail plane shenanigans, whatever those are. And he delivers the mail on time, like da 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 da. Never seen it, so I can only go on just description for this. But the people, and I, I can't remember which South American country this was either, but it was like specific. It was like the Andes, like he's like flying over the Andes, whatever. They hated it. They thought he was like a total rube. They were like, this character sucks and he's embarrassing. And there was an artist there that saw it and was like, this is offensive, like this sucks. And so he made his own comics with, um, with like a condor off of their coat of arms. And that ended up becoming like way more famous and popular across the world than the Walt Disney cartoon. But it's just like reactionary to how bad of a job that they did. Yeah. And they were like embarrassed by this. So they were just like, I'm making my own, like this sucks. And I guess that became this whole thing. Well, you don't want you don't want the the film uh, representing your your land and your culture to you know just be a pre a prequel to Planes. <laughs> That's where Planes came from. A hit Disney Pixar film, Planes. Straight to DVD. <laughs> That's how you know it's gold. I just think it's funny that he was like, I'm going to leave to go make money. Uh, I don't think he was... Handle this. The, the, little, the shred, the tiniest shred of sympathy I can have for him was like, okay, your studio is not doing well. Like, that sucks. It must suck to have all these people be like, wham, pay me more. But also he was making $2,000 a week, like, which is something that people found out when his company went public. And like, contrast that with the anim top animators making three hundred. Yeah. Let's get a quick conversion. <laughs> you know, I'm on it. It's my favorite game to play. Um, he was making over $36,000 a week in today's monies. Walt? Pay your women. Pay, Pay your women. Like, how hard could it possibly be? Also, would you be, like, bleeding money the way that you are if you were just compensating everyone on a with a system that made sense and was like equitable and wasn't just like this dude has a new Lamborghini and this dude's sleeping in his car. Like that's exactly the conclusion. Like, I'm really glad you said that because I feel like that's the culmination. Like the final thought of all of this is just nothing that he's doing is an intelligent business decision. I actually don't think there's any reason why the Disney studio had to be riding the red line like the entire time. And it was because when Snow White did really well, they made a bunch of money and he was like, let's build like an awesome, bigger animation studio. Like literally constructed all of this stuff, like new construction. Did you need to do that? No, probably not, first of all. And then Pinocchio, I think they, they spent way more on the production of Pinocchio than on Snow White. And honestly, there are some very telling parallels to like how Disney worked and ran a studio to how companies sometimes are run in the modern day, where a lot he, he was just like, I need to be really intimately involved in everything and I need to make every decision and I need to like, oh, if I hate that, like you better be here all night working on it, fixing it. And everybody, all of these biographies are very open about the fact that people basically just worked seven days a week. They had standard meetings on Saturdays just normal like everybody's there all the time working and apparently they had to sign paperwork that said that they worked 40 hour weeks but they were like very explicitly were not working a mere 40 hours a week so probably legal back then who knows i don't know not great but like nothing that walt did was like oh i'm building like an empire that's super efficiently run and makes sense it was like I am in charge and I'm just going to do whatever I want. 
because that he's feels an idea right. man caitlin come on and his idea was that much like a lot of his stories are like an underdog story or a rags to riches story he too had to ride that red line so that <laughs> so that his own business could fit that narrative because what, the man you know? owns narrative <laughs> well, That's what I, I'm not an expert in every single part of like Disney's process from back then to now, but it does feel to me like somebody at some point saw the potential in that post Walt Disney, like after he had passed and was like, okay, I'm going to buy this and turn it. Like shrewd business people came in after the fact because Walt wasn't, he was just very charismatic. So he was good at the networking. He was good at convincing people to give him his, like their loyalty, like good at convincing people to give him what he wanted but he wasn't making really snappy decisions like make a bunch of money. He made a lot of money because he took it from the people that should have been paid better. Yeah. Uh, and I... yeah, at some point somebody was like, hey, well, your brand is very charismatic and you built up all this brand goodwill. So now I'm going to leverage it to own the world and it's really going well. <laughs> On that note, I've mentioned this a few times and I finally pulled it up. Have you seen the, um, the the timeline of the Disney company through 2100, the year 2100. No. It's this thread. That sounds really terrifying. It's terrifying. It's like Simpsons predicting the future level terrifying. It starts in 1995 and this guy just like does um, like, oh, and this year Disney acquires this and this year Disney acquires this. And then he goes to the year 2100. And if you look at the first one on the list 1995 disney buys abc okay that's history we actually know that disney buys pixar in 2006 and if you don't read anything in the middle and you just jump to the end 2100 disney announces new x-men movie marvel fans are excited uh it's just that's not a good example <laughs> but it's it's like so far-fetched by the time you get to the end but everything you read it's like Okay, but this could happen. Like yeah. 2022, Disney buys Universal Studios. Uh, 2026, Disney buys Sony. PlayStation rebranded as Disney Infinity. Uh, and then it jumps to like uh, the Church of Baby Yoda's fastest growing religion. Disney, <laughs> Disney acquires a private military, starts corporate espionage. That doesn't surprise me at all. I feel like that's already happening, probably. If you jump like far ahead it's oh. like that's ridiculous but if you go like it does like every three four years at a time i'm like this is going to happen yeah it's bizarre we'll put the link on there for the thread it's this the thread, funniest thing this thread feels similar to but m more strategic and serious than i saw a tweet the other day that was just like it was like 2035 or something uh Disney announces or like Marvel makes um, and it was some awful title of like multiverse of spider verse madness something something and it said like fans uh, fans annoyed that they have to watch like 700 properties in order to understand what's going on in it <laughs> but and I I thought that that's where you were going with that but yours was yours was creepier. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is that though, right? Like yeah. I find it very unnerving 
that so I'm very anal about all of this because I have just the intimate knowledge in my brain the cracks and crevices of every Pixar movie and Disney movie that's ever come out which like is my own burden to bear but because I know I that I it so well <laughs> I wear it proudly I people will be like oh that blah 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 whatever like Pixar movie and it's like a DreamWorks movie or something you know like that constantly and I'm like, I know it's not. I know exactly who directed. Like, I know the studio. Like, blah, blah, blah. But what really sucks is now all those movies are on Disney Plus anyway. So, like, no one will know. What Even, am I like, supposed to do if you take away my ability to constantly correct you when you call the animated Anastasia a Disney movie? It, yes. Like, Anastasia is on Disney Plus and it chills me to my core because that's, like, the movie. People are like, remember that Disney movie, Anastasia? I'm like, no, I sure don't. Did uh, they edit the intro? The DreamWorks intro, you think? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. <gasps> oh, I don't know. That's that's erasure right there. Well, hopefully they didn't. We can't. We can't. There's <laughs> oh, yeah. no way of knowing. We'll never be able to tell. We'll never be able to find out. <laughs> There's no way to get to the bottom of this. Anastasia wasn't DreamWorks, so it was 20th Century Fox. So. Oh, Which, shit. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. I always There's do that. I'm always like, I know it wasn't Disney, but I don't know what it was. Yeah, like, I, I know it wasn't Disney. But even, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox is on there. Like, uh, Wes Anderson's, like, stop-motion animated movies on, and his other movies, like, on Disney+. Plot. I just don't understand. It's inexplicable. But, like, they're all on there. And, like, The Simpsons? Okay. I went to, I think it was Onward, Pixar's Onward, I think. I saw that in theaters, and they had, like, the opening short in front of it. It's not a cute Pixar short. It's a fucking Simpsons short. And it was one of the most unnerving cinematic experiences I've ever had, bar none. <laughs> but it was very weird. I was like, oh, that's not, I'm used to seeing like, I don't, you know, Pixar's latest cute thing that they decided to do for no reason to throw in front of this movie and to delight me and audiences worldwide. And instead, it was just like a mediocre Simpson short that I don't remember. It's very, it's just, I don't like that. I'm upset for you. It's not what I wanted. <laughs> Um, so in high school for the one act festival, the one act play festival, someone had, somebody wrote a one act play. It was like 20 minutes long called treating Disney. And the whole thing took place in, I don't even think in the sessions. It was like, it was group therapy. It was just Disney group therapy. Um, <laughs> and it was mostly villains uh, there were like a couple of like, uh, I think most of the main characters were like name, like lead characters, pro tags, and then like a lot of villains. And there was a character that was, I think Anastasia was in it. And I didn't write this, but I was asked to direct it. I like to just joke about the fact that I'm like, there's no way that this, this should have gotten, so would have gotten ceases, cease and desists immediately. Um, we, they used the Disney font in the like show art for it. But Anastasia was a character in it, and I, I made the writer, I was like, we're adding a line because we have to acknowledge that it's not a Disney. I so love basically that. Basically, we had a mean girl. Was like, she doesn't even go here. Like, <laughs> a friend of mine was Ursula, and she reminds me all the time. She's like, remember when I painted my whole body purple for you? <laughs> wow, that's method. She went all the way. <laughs> yep. She and Hades had, the, had it the hardest. They had to wear a lot of body paint. Wow, I thought this was a way more casual thing for some oh. reason. One X was it. a real big deal at New <laughs> Central High School. I think that's beautiful. And that's what, 
Disney, a lot of it is just deriving joy and pleasure out of real artists' work, while Disney just kind of was like, mm, with his eyebrow, like, mm, mm. And then uh, a lot of it is uh, fans creating fan fiction that does better by some of the characters and IPs than the works themselves did. I can't speak to this. This is the second time somebody's talked to me about fan fiction today, though, and I'm like, should I read fan? Is it weird that I don't? I feel like all the cool people are reading fan fiction. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going. I just know about the actual the canon works. I get. I've gotten real into like strict canon for just anything. I'm tired of extended universes, which is weird because it's fun. It's tongue in cheek. You can like bring in a lot of whatever, but I want like new. Yes. and new ideas and new stories and i do feel or that. stories that have been around forever but we're just not telling them and i get really frustrated when i really like an extended universe <laughs> no i get that too i had mentioned that i guess i'm legally obligated to mention this on every podcast episode i do no matter what or where it is but i just like can't watch tv anymore like it's, mm -hmm. every, you brought up the stranger things thing i'm like i just don't want to watch this it's so much content and it's like not even fixed. It's like, and I just can't commit to that. And like, all I want is to watch a two hour movie and then just walk away and just like, think about it. I just want to cogitate on it. I want to meditate on the characters and their journey. It's I want to be wowed by somebody funny. new. <laughs> it's funny that you say that though, cause I uh, passed guest uh and basically oh my like, god i thought you said you passed gas i passed I like, gas. natalie i also thought that and i was like <laughs> not gonna say anything like, natalie let me just say that into the microphone it didn't make huh? it <laughs> uh past shared history guest and uh marvel cinematic universe uh extraordinaire like knowledge mm. all of it's all of it genius uh jamie jirak um tweeted today that she can't help but think about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and think about how it's going to be the last uh, 22 episode show that she got to like watch and enjoy. And she was basically lamenting the loss of the 22 episode seasons and saying like, give me those worlds, give me that world building, give me those silly one-off episodes, give mm -hmm. me those like dumb side plot episodes. I love that. And it had me thinking like, yeah, I would, I would much rather, and I'm not a person who rewatches things. I would much rather have 22 episodes of a show that I absolutely adore than like eight episodes of a bunch of things that I'm like, it's, I like it, but I don't yeah. like, I'd rather mm -hmm. spend that time invested. I have in a really bad relationship with the word content and i think that gets to that point of like the winter of our discontent <laughs> seriously but like like you said you'd rather just sit and watch two hours and then live with that we can't do that anymore we have to have content surrounding it it's not just a story it's not world building well it's content it's very cold and commercial and we're going to make this movie eat, so like that we can McDonald's. make seven other movies. Yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want to come back tomorrow and eat more of this. I'm tired. I'm so yeah. tired. And <laughs> it's making art consumable, which is yeah. like what it's supposed to be, but it's in 
It is. It is. It's, it's literally the McDonald's there to of just fill time. Junk food. Yeah. Which I don't like. And I just, I, I know you're trying to say something, so I feel bad. But I just, because you brought up the 22 minute show, and I actually want to say it's funny because I have, for the past like three years, I've been watching a ton of Star Trek, like the old Star Treks. But there's so much there and it's great. Yeah. And it's great. Like, that's what is interesting to me is it's perfect. There's a million episodes, which at first I was like, this is very intimidating. But I actually, I started watching it because I had seen it as a kid. I had a lot of good memories, but didn't really remember any of it very well. Like Next Generation, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Deep Space were like Nine the is fucking amazing. I fell in love with Deep Space Nine. I actually pretty much watched it all the way through twice, basically. And I I'm, thought I've I wasn't going to care for it. I've rewatch because it's great. It's so good. It's very comforting. <laughs> Might be my favorite. It's like a comfort show. <laughs> okay. But that, it was like, I had so much time to get to know these characters, but they were new to me. And that was, it was like the best example I can think of, of that, like, this is sort of an expanded universe thing and that there's a lot of like lore and history to it. But a lot of effort has gone in to sort of make it like each individual show pretty unique and it's very like character driven and character oriented so you end up getting attached to these individuals in it and they're not just generally speaking they're not really um just like a paper cut out of what you think that character is supposed to be even in stranger things like even in the second season i was like oh you took what people thought was cute about this character the first season and now he's just that only dialed it up yeah yeah there's nothing else and i can't stand it and like i'm not gonna pretend star trek is bad a lot of the time honestly but even the bad episodes can be really fun and i just like being able to have that and they do dumb shit like Sometimes they're like, oh my God, like this is like an alien genocide and we have to like save the quadrant, the galaxy. And then sometimes it's like, we're on the holodeck and it's like Sherlock Holmes and that's the whole episode. Yep. We're just gonna do a Sherlock Holmes story. And that kicks ass. Like- I love it so much. And to what Cass said about like preferring strictly canon things, everything that has come out that is Star Trek is considered canon, at least at the TV shows. So there's this, absolutely wonderful animated series called Lower Decks. Which I haven't watched yet, but oh, I have so only great. heard good things. But it is canon. It exists in the same universe as all as like all of these other characters. It is self-referential and it is considered canon. It's just spending time with a a ship and a a tier of the ship that you don't spend a lot of time with, but it is considered canon. Mm -hmm. Um I have the problem, Cass, it wouldn't be an episode, apparently, of this season without me talking about books. I noticed just, like, consuming content that I have noticed. I, every now and then I'll be reading a book and I'll be like, Natalie, slow the fuck down. Because I get worried about, if it's a library book, how long I have to read it. And so it just becomes, like... I need to get through this book because, and it's like, I'm reading, I'm reading a book right now that I waited for from the library. I waited for my hold from the library for eight weeks and I need God, to. God, you've been talking about this for eight <laughs> weeks. This isn't the library can add a lot of stress to a person's yeah. life, it turns out. And so I, but I have to keep reminding myself that I'm like, you wanted to read this book. Please enjoy reading this book stop looking on your kindle at the percentage of the book you have completed they should just take that away you can honestly. turn it off but yeah. i like i know I, you can but it's like not enough like just delete the feature please that's why i can't read 
on like ebooks or Kindle because but otherwise I do I like knowing how much is left, but when it's on a bar, then it's almost like it's a grade. Yeah, yeah it's you know? gross. Yeah. Yeah. I try I to keep it turned off. I need the feature so I need to have it be able to tell me how much time is left in the chapter because my uh toxic anal retentive personality is that I cannot stop reading in the middle of a chapter. Um so I need that data. Mm -hmm. But that is that lockup that they give you has the percentage in it. Yeah. I need to put a piece of tape. My phone is ringing. Yeah, I was like, oh my God. Into Did I say the secret word? Am I about to get slime? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> to, uh, I thought that was like, all right, our time's up on next week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> That's I all mean, we've got for today. Um. So, what we're saying is, uh, rob the vault and watch all of the disney content essentially honestly fuck the vault do crime fuck the vault <laughs> basically i i just like i think my fixation on stuff like this i harp on this incessantly on cartoon feelings too because i hate like auteurship or like the creative genius like all these concepts i really strongly dislike because I think ultimately they all boil down to this guy. And like, I just want to be like, don't idolize people like this. Like they are actually not that great and it doesn't have to be this way. And I'm disappointed that nobody has just deigned to give me a gajillion dollars to prove that I could do it better, I guess. <laughs> but uh, well, maybe we'll never know. But like, I just genuinely don't think that you have to be uh, a mercurial like fairy of a man to to create something great. I don't also, think you have all to be creation great. is collaborative. So yeah. the, the idea of the auteur is just fallacy. It's it drives just, me insane. Like it's the amount either of micromanaging or it's just taking credit and not getting yeah. credit due to those who helped you do everything. And I think it's very telling that like one of the biggest issues people had working for Disney was that he did not give them their fair credit. People would work and work and bust their ass and pour all of this time and energy into this and like not even get a screen credit. It's just arbitrary, completely arbitrary. And that's kind of like something in the arts in general that like people are more willing to like break their back, paying, quote unquote, paying their dues, like rising through the ranks, doing the work because they love the work. And it's like the bare minimum was credit yeah, for the work. Or just, yeah, just a, a measure of appreciation. Let me in the sauna. Let me fits <laughs> in the sauna. Like, let me cleanse my pores after sweating over a hot animation table all Blood, night. Sweat it's the and least tears. you can do. Um, uh, speaking of not idolizing people, I feel like I should shout out. There's a podcast that I'm sure I've mentioned before called Meet Your Heroes. And I know for a fact that they do an episode on Walt Disney. So Ooh. if you want to hear more, uh, more about him sucking uh that that's how you learn uh, about how about daddy being a bad daddy and read this daddy book. disney queens of animation is a good book it sounds amazing even neil gabler's biography i would recommend it even though again you'll never finish it i think the audiobook's like 40 hours long or something it's oh just my God. it's obscene like it's chunky but it is very detailed but even stuff in there is like well, Disney just made this up, this like anecdote about where Mickey Mouse came from or whatever. And I'm like, why are people so into that? That's actually bullshit. It's not a cute story. It's just dumb. Love Disney, though. <laughs>
It is so complicated to be a fan a of literally world. anything anymore. Like it, there's, yeah. it's impossible. Um, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. Tell our listeners where they can stalk you on the internet. Oh, well, please don't. Okay. I mean, respectfully, <laughs> if you must, uh, you can find me at kcaju.com is my website. Uh, and I'm at kcaju on any social media platform. Twitter, Instagram, etc. Others as well. Cartoon Great. Feelings is available wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's Enjoy. True. Please let us know if it's Enjoy good. Enjoy feeling not. your feelings <laughs> about cartoons. Uh, as always, we'll have a bunch of uh, links and visual aids in the doobly doo of this episode. So uh, explore those. Find them on our social media at SharedPod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, feel free to email us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. We are sad and lonely without you, so just email us. Email us. Send us love notes. Okay, also, send those love notes in the form of a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Kate, thanks. Bye. Um, Kate, again, thank you so much. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Uh, dear readers, until next time. Share the